Welcome to Home Gym History. On this episode, I'm going to explore the history of arm wrestling. People have been arm wrestling each other since ancient times. Over those thousands of years and these, who knows, millions of arm wrestling matches, it's become more organized. And I have the perfect guest, Eric Rusain, from the Facebook page, Arm Wrestling Archives, to talk about the history of arm wrestling. I met Eric at a grip strength competition, heavy hands, a couple months ago, and we got to talking and he told me about all this research that he'd done about the history of arm wrestling. And I thought, well, this is the guy. I got to get him on the podcast. So please stick around to hear about the history of arm wrestling from Eric Hussein. But first, indulge me with one more reminder about Home Gym Con. It's coming up the last weekend of April, the gathering of home gym owners with all of the companies that they love putting out the equipment and the weights and the barbells and the things that they want to see in person. And that's all occurring at French Lick Resort in French Lick, Indiana, the last weekend of April. If you don't have tickets yet, you can save some money by using code VINTAGE, as in Vintage Weights PGH. So please consider using code VINTAGE when you purchase your tickets to Home Gym Con, and it'll save you a little bit of money, and a couple pennies will roll back my way. And when I'm there at Home Gym Con, by all means, tell me, hey, I used code VINTAGE, and I'll give you a high five. That's right. A free high five comes with it. All right. Enough of that. Let's get to Eric, and let's learn a little bit about the history of arm wrestling. Eric Rusain, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So... Where are you? You're up in Canada, correct? I'm in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. That's correct. It's, it's, I shouldn't it's say cold. Up. It's cold here and there's been <laughs> storms as well, but we didn't get it as bad as like the Midwest so, or, or okay. Western Canada. It's very cold over there right now, but uh, okay. chilly, but not too bad. How about you? Yeah, here in Pittsburgh, you know, it's, uh, it's getting down there. Nothing crazy, no sub-zero weather, but just enough for, you know, school cancellations and stuff like that for my kids, all that type of stuff. So, you know, but hey, we went sled riding today. It's fun. I'll take it. But the reason that I invited you on, though, is not the weather in Canada. It's, it's because you are uh, quite the historian of arm wrestling. And did I get the name correct? Is it the Facebook group Arm Wrestling Archive? Yeah, it's the Facebook page. It's also it's also okay. the name of my website, the armwrestlingarchives.com. On Facebook, it's just the Arm Wrestling Archives. Okay, yeah. cool. So listeners, if you're enjoying what you hear on this episode, uh, you know, head there and I'll remind you at the end of the episode as well. I met Eric uh, fairly recently uh, at Heavy Hands, a grip competition, and we were just kind of talking in between events, that kind of thing. And you mentioned arm wrestling and how you had um, you know, gained access to some of these resources and some of these different sources of, uh, you know, evidence of the, I guess the history of arm wrestling. So to start out, what I'm not really that knowledgeable on would just be the organization of it. Like right now, 2023, what, how is it organized? How, how is a champion declared? What's the setup, if you will? Right. So, a lot of it has changed actually since the pandemic. Um, traditionally, the past 50 years of arm wrestling has been dominated by tournament arm wrestling. So double elimination um, tournaments by weight class, by arm. That's sort of been the standard. So uh, each, it, and there's, an, an, you know, in Canada, there's provincial championships in the States. Most states have a state championship. 
there's a national championship and ultimately there's a world championship. Mm. Um, there's, there's two sort of, uh, recognized world championships, but those in both cases, they're, they're considered amateur in that there's no cash prizes. Uh, it's the level is definitely professional. I mean, it's, to win yeah. a world championship is no, not an easy task. Um, but it's separated from the professional stream, which in recent years had been dominated by these super matches. And that's what a lot of people okay. who may have been exposed to harvesting the past few years are more familiar with. So there's the East versus West series and ah. the King of the Table series. Those are the two leading organizations right now. And okay. those are by invitation. They invite the very, very best pullers in the world and they have them face off, not in a double invitation format, but a three out of five format. Mm. Um, and, and they're taking from the people who have already won world championships. So the people who have really already through their careers have built up a, a very, very impressive resume. Um, and then they have belts or world titles in those organizations. And if you win one of those, um, those are actually harder to win than a world title because that's actually prize money and everything else. Uh, so that's where you're going to see Devin Larrick. That's where you're going to see, gotcha. um, you know, Levante and Ashley, all those big, big names. Yeah. You know, they've won a lot of tournaments in the past, but now they're professional arm wrestlers. They compete uh, for prize money at these huge, huge events and now that are pay-per-view. So the sport has really exploded. Like many of, like many smaller sports have exploded since the pandemic. Cause I think a lot of people discovered yeah. it via YouTube. And so there's actually, Pre-pandemic, there wasn't really much of a fan base. The fans were arm wrestlers and their friends and family. But yeah. now, the sport actually does have a, a following, which is, which sure. is great. So uh, that's really so the two a, distinctions right now. So there's a divide between uh, world champion and then, you know, it does. It sounds like you don't officially go pro, but basically you're you're going that track. Yeah, exactly. So okay. the, the only people, a lot of people will say they're a pro armistice, but the only real pro armistice in my mind are the guys who make a significant portion of money <laughs> doing it. Uh, yeah. You can yeah. Be, Do you in North America, we have a tendency to say we're pro pullers if, if we're com like at a competitive level. Like if, if, if you're like okay. national level, you probably consider yourself a pro armistice, even though you're paying to do it. You know, very few, the very top people make money, the rest of us, you know, we're lucky if we cover expenses for most of us, we're actually, you know, spending it to do it like all the small sports, you know? So, yeah. well, you mentioned a name that even having little knowledge of arm wrestling, I know Devin Larratt and I know him because of his YouTube videos and Juji Mufu and all these things. So I would right. imagine too, once you get to that level, you can start branching out to other revenue streams and, you know, other kind of, yeah. uh, ventures, well, number, if you will. He's by far the most popular, well-known armors in the world. So yes, yeah. once you get to that level, a lot of doors open for sure. Uh, yeah. but there's only a few who can, that who can get in anything close to that, right? Yet. Sure. Sure. No. So no. then the things you just mentioned, can we take a step back? Like how long have those organizations been around? How long has the East first West and these things you just mentioned been around? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned like since COVID it's taken off, but I mean, uh, prior to that, what was happening? Yeah. So these, these are, are, are these evolved, came about during the pandemic, basically. Oh, wow. So this pandemic, is recent. This is just last recent. three years. So yeah. What happened is for, for a few years there, no one, you couldn't organize tournaments, you know, legally okay. we couldn't, there were no gatherings. So, uh, Angan Terzi, who, who, who runs East versus West, and he's a, one of the best armistices of all time. And he's won tens of world championships. He's in Turkey. And he started organizing a few sort of invitation, small gatherings and, 
he sort of started it, and then uh, King, King of the Table, which is owned by um, Larry Wheels and a few other people. Um, yeah, yeah. They they started doing something similar, and they're all working together. Um, okay. And uh, so that's very much. It was born out of the fact that there were no tournaments, and they said, I think they probably realized this is sort of the time to noticing that the sport is becoming more popular on YouTube. So let's try this super match. What I call super matches is a three out of five challenge format. That's what they decided to focus on. So small events, only 10 or 12 athletes. And uh, that format existed before, but it was not um, the dominant form. Um, so then now it really is. So then the world championship prior to COVID was, the, how did you get to that? Was that just an event that you show up for? Were there qualifying tournaments leading into it or something? Yeah. So the, 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 the two leading world organizations, you have to place generally top two at your nationals in your class. Okay. Then you get qualified to go to the worlds and then you go to the worlds. And, uh, you know, those are the, those are big events. Now they attract, well over a thousand athletes so it's big week-long affair uh you know tons of different weight classes age groups um so sounds fun <laughs> that's the standard the standard process is yeah you do well at your regional level go to the nationals place top two okay. then go represent your country at worlds now how far back does worlds go is that are we talking like 1980s 1990s so well this was the problem in the early history <laughs> yeah. so the organized armistice as we know it I'll be able to start a little further back. Sure. Um, in the 60s, sorry, in the, in the mid-50s in California, Petaluma, California, they there was uh, a challenge match by two local people who were like, oh, I think I'm the best. I think I'm the best. Let's let's settle it. So in a bar, yeah. and, and and it got the attention of a, of a local reporter, and he covered the match, and... You know, there was a small gathering, but everyone thought it was a lot of fun. So they decided to do sort of like a tournament every year. Mm. And between the mid-50s and the early 60s, the tournament really got popular. They used, used to be called, you know, the, the championships of Northern California, then California. And then basically, it got so big, they decided, let's just call it a world championship. Because they, they weren't aware of any other tournaments going on. Let's, let's just call it the Worlds. Uh, so 62... The world's wrist wrestling championship, which they called called it, okay. uh, ran throughout the '60s, and then the big thing that happened is um, they managed to get a deal with ABC, Wide World uh, of Sports, Wide World of Sports, <laughs> to come okay. and film it. And they filmed the 1969 event. It aired in 1970, and that's when the sport really took off. Because until that time, no one really realized that arm wrestling tournaments existed. All of a sudden, 35 million Americans discover it that exists and that yeah. in the seventies, a whole bunch of organizations form and every single organization either held a national or world championship. So in some years in the seventies, if you wanted to travel, you could probably win eight world championships in a year. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that was, it was really the wild west in that well, time. That reminds me kind of like a old time strongman and just sort of, if you want to be the world's strongest or strongest in the strongest on earth, you just kind of declare that and have to defend that every time someone challenges you. Yeah. So it, it yeah. reminds me of the like competing or even just to bring it more recently, uh, the multiple Mr. Americas that existed by different exactly. organizations, that kind of thing. Exactly. Where, so what happened well, by the end of the 1970s, um, there was one organization called the World Arm Wrestling Federation. And that was the first sort of true world championship in 1979 because there were four countries. Everything else was just Canada right. and maybe 
just sorry, just the U.S. and maybe some Canadians. In '79, okay. there was an event: Canada, U.S., Brazil, Japan, and mm -hmm. that was recognized as the first true worlds. And that organization is the one that became the leading world organization that still exists today. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, whenever I was just kind of, you know, punching into Google, no deep research here, but just punching into Google history of arm wrestling, ABC Wide World of Wide World of Sports, uh, you can see clips, you know. Yeah. in the thousands probably online of the various arm wrestling matches. And it makes me think of kind of um, the way powerlifting started to get televised occasionally and the way strongman, uh, world's strongest man made it over to North America and started getting televised and things like that. Just yeah. the exposure of it. So then yeah. when it comes to this development, I have a very important question for you from one of my good friends and followers the no wine seller i put it out there on my instagram hey does anyone want me to ask anything about the history of arm wrestling and this right out of the gate with everything you've said how realistic is the movie over the top the over the top it was <laughs> such a big thing for the sport um and what some many people may not realize is that the background footage in, in over the top is an actual tournament um um, it just so happened that the person who was hired to do some of the promotions for the movie was also an arm wrestler and nice. they managed to convince Canon films, the company that made that movie saying, you know what, why don't you get some realistic footage? Why don't we just host a tournament? You know, it'll draw publicity for the movie and you'll have some realistic scenes. So that, that, that event happened in 1986 and it was mm. by far, by far the biggest tournament ever. And to this day, it is still the biggest tournament in terms of the prize because like in the wow. movie, like in the movie, the winner won a semi truck. So that was a huge <laughs> prize. So that was, that was true. Like it happened in real life. Like you that got was, a semi truck. That was true. And oh my I gosh. Know you know who, I don't know if you know who won the truck in real life. Uh, I'm guessing John, I'm going to screw up his last name. Brzezink. John Brzezink. John Brzezink. That was his first, okay. you know, he was 22 at the time. Mm -hmm. In his late teens, early twenties, he was already, you know, he was making, he was making a state. He was beating a lot of people, but when yeah. he won that event, uh, basically since that, that was his, his mark on the world. Like I'm, I'm here. <laughs> uh, wow. so there was actually two divisions in that tournament. There was the pro division okay. that had the bulk of the professional arm wrestlers and that was for prize money. Then there was the truckers division. <laughs> So you had, I love to be, it. you had to be either a trucker or like a teamster <laughs> member. And somehow uh, John Brzezik had become a member of the teamster union. So that oh, he got in on that side, on that side, which had fewer professional arms. Oh, there were some, man, the field was genius. Bigger, and then he won that and he won the truck. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Cause I, I well, this is a while ago. I'd seen a documentary about him. It was just one of those deals where I was flipping through like Amazon Prime streaming and just yep. looking something. And I, and I, I want, I, I'll, I'll just admit it. I didn't even watch the whole thing. I, I watched maybe 20 minutes of it. So I loosely knew of this man, John Brzezink, but I knew he was considered like one of the goats, one of the, the greatest arm wrestlers. And then I saw a picture of Sylvester Stallone and him and realized, oh, he's in the, He's in the movies and over the top. Yeah, so, the guys, the guys, there it is. The guys who, the guys who won their classes uh -huh. all had cameos in Over the Top. So, oh, 
Nice. That's why. So a lot of the background, if you see them in the background, it's probably because they did either they won the tournament or they did well in the tournament. Oh, I'm gonna go back and watch it now. <laughs> and this marks uh, multiple episodes in a row of Home Gym History where we talk about Sylvester Stallone. So my last episode was with um, Trainers to the Stars, if you will, Gunnar Peterson, and I had he had trained Sylvester Stallone for some of the Rocky movies, and I had been talking with him about you know what what's it like training Stallone. So, but that was well after Stallone filmed over the top. These were the later Rocky movies, okay. but still it's, uh, we've talked Stallone quite a bit on this podcast. So you now are part of the Stallone greatest hits, <laughs> you know, we'll do a clip show some, sometime in the future. We'll do a clip show. That's just all the segments about Stallone on home gym history. And you'll be in there. So as far as going back further, I, Personally, I really love looking into old time strongmen and just I, I'm in the middle of a book about Eugene Sando right now. I just did a uh, episode of my other podcast, Lift History, about Louis Sear. And I, I just find it fascinating and kind of the the intrigue of what's real, what's not, the performance aspect of their lives. Um, and you had commented on that episode of Lift History about Louis Sear that his opponent, the episode was all about uh, his last match basically is what I was right. talking about. And his last match, I probably butchered the young man's name. What is the young man's name that he was against? Uh, Hector, Hector DeCarry. DeCarry. Okay. I think I pronounced it like Dakar. Well, anyway, so DeCarry and you had commented that uh, he was a formidable arm wrestler. So can you, Talk to it a little bit. Like how, I guess my question is what role did arm wrestling play in that era? The turn of the century, we're getting into the 1900s, um, you know, leading up to like vaudeville and the performance strongman. Where did arm wrestling fit into that? So I've spent a lot of time researching arm wrestling history because there's very, very little before that I got into this, very little was documented. It's a sport. I'm convinced that arm wrestling, the, the actual motion, the activity, likely independently evolved evolved in different parts of the world. I think that's sort of a safe assumption. I know for a fact that it existed for hundred at least several hundred years in Hawaii. Nice. In, in Japan. And go, at least going back to the 18th century here in Canada, in Quebec, French, uh, um, French Canadian culture. Okay. In terms of organized matches, sort of like organized armor thing with rules with the, you know, I've found a lot of information on the turn of the century, early you know, 1900 to 1920 in okay. Canada, in, in Montreal specifically. Hmm. Uh, it was all documented in the newspapers, you know, the matches coming up, what the rules are, what the bets are. It was very yeah. much, and those were not tournaments. Those were um, super one-on-one -on -one formats. So this so person, he's... Very much like the strongman match it, where it exactly. was, because, because that's one thing I loved about that article that I was referencing on the episode of lift history is that it, it laid out that, you know, they weighed the weights and they did this and these are the rules. And this is the, you know, these are the seconds that help you with your weights. It was all very like on the level compared to what people normally do, which is sling mud at an insults at old time strongman and say, Oh no, you know, they cheat. So right. in that same fashion, arm wrestling matches took place between yeah, people where and, it was advertised. Yeah, advertising the local newspaper, challenges cool. through the newspaper. And normally there would be sort of one guy or a couple of guys who recognize as the top guys. And people would challenge them. Uh, often they'd bet money or their, their supporters would bet money. 
I'm going to compare it to today's dollars. Most of these bets were for close to a thousand dollars in today's dollars. You know, back then it was fifty bucks or a hundred bucks, but in today's dollars, that's what it represented. So we're not at the penny and slot machines here. Generally, it was three out of five. <laughs> and then they, some of the things they they um, discussed was one of the things was the distance between the elbows. So okay. on a standard arm wrestling table, there's a standard dimension. The pads a certain size, a certain position. But back then. I guess they sh they put spots on the table to say where you have to plant your elbow. Uh, and when it's those who favored a short distance between the elbows were generally stronger arm inside pullers versus okay. those who preferred further apart, they were more outside top roller. Uh, so it's different strengths for different hands. So they would agree, okay, we're going to do it from 15 inch difference. Okay. Okay. We're going to do two out of three or we're going to do three out of five. Okay. Will there be time limits on the matches? So all of these rules had to be settled. The bet had to be settled. And then, then they would go at it. And, you know, if you won, then you would have the title and wait for the next challenger. And what happened yeah. is Hector DeCarry in 1902, he was, he was at that point, he was training strongman. He didn't really arm wrestle, but uh, somehow a match got set up between the recognized champ and him. And, and he beat that guy, this guy who had armors with like 50 opponents and never lost. And all of a sudden Hector beats him. And, and then what does he do? Hector basically retires from armorsling. <laughs> <laughs> he's going out on top. <laughs> yeah, he's not accepting any matches. Because That's awesome. More, he, he says, and it's probably quite true, he was yeah. training for Toronto Man. There was, it's more lucrative, sure. more attention. Yeah. But also probably didn't want to risk losing. So when, when he actually faced Luis here in the Strongman contest in 1906... Yeah. He was declared as the world arm wrestling champion because he had never lost the title. I was just going to say that was probably a feather in his cap. That was probably, you know, whenever they, just like at UFC or boxing matches nowadays, they, they kind of read off, you know, two-time champion, blah, blah, blah. You know, back then, that was probably right on his card. You know, world arm wrestling champion, Hector DeCarry. So then when it comes to that, listeners, if you don't know, I mean, I'm not going to rehash the entire episode of lift history that i'm talking about but louis sear if you just google like who was the strongest person who ever lived i guarantee louis sear comes up at least a majority of the search results he's just considered one of the strongest to ever live and his very last match was against this young man hector de who we are speaking of so hector de then louis sear spoiler alert he he kind of they, they it ends in a draw but he seeds the title because right. the crowd, I mean, it'd be like if you paid top dollar to go to like the most marquee like boxing match, UFC, whatever it is, and it was a draw. Like you'd probably be disappointed. Right. Like what? Like I came to see a champion. So then Louis Sear cedes his title as strongest man on earth to Hector. Right. So then when it comes to arm wrestling, what you said, something that sticks out to me about this whole scenario is that this isn't just a matter of finding two strong guys and two strong people and saying, okay, as a promoter, I'm going to put these two together and people will pay to come see them because there is some strategy and knowledge of the sport involved there. If you're talking about distances and I, you know, this type of arm wrestler versus this type, and that's all fresh and new to me I, as someone who's never competitively arm wrestled, but that's what it communicates to me is just that uh, these matches were more than just a spectacle. It was a, a sport. There was strategy involved. So then, you know, heading forward from there, you know, do we have any other known names that got into 
at least in the strength world, known names that frequently arm wrestled or got into competitive arm wrestling, things like that, that you're aware of? So arm wrestling in the Montreal area sort of died down in the early thirties and between 1930 and I guess the mid fifties in California was sort of a dead period in terms of hmm. organized arm wrestling. I'm not saying that there weren't any tournaments, but they were not publicized or, uh, as far as I can tell. Um, now in the seventies, there were some powerlifters who dabbled in arm wrestling. So mm. people who, um, I don't know how much you know about powerlifters from that era, but Jim Williams, you know, him sure. from, uh, Pennsylvania. He had, uh, I know of him. at one point had yeah. the uh, world bench press record. Um, so he was he, an arm um, wrestler as well. He arm wrestled. I, I don't know a ton about him, but it, I have heard of him. Uh, I've, I've done a fair amount of research into just my local area, Pittsburgh, and then by extension, Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania. So I've come across his name at times right. so for he, sure. He, he, he trained um, in the same YMCA where Bob O'Leary, who was one of the original founders of the World Arm Wrestling Federation, he was just starting to organize oh. arm wrestling. And he said, okay. Jim, why don't you try this? And the yeah. guy was just his strength alone was overwhelming. So he would defeat everyone you would face. Um, and then in 1971, Bob O'Leary, the organizer, decided, came up with the idea, let's do a, a special match here. We'll have a tournament, but the highlight match will be for the North American Championship. Or actually, they may have called it a world title, but who they, they invited Jim Williams, who had never lost, against okay. Maurice Baker. Maurice Baker, uh, had legitimately won three world championships in a row in some of the earlier organizations. So he was, um, he lived in, um, Connecticut. He was by far the most in those early days recognizes the man. So they said, okay, the actual armor who has the title against the yeah. super bench press power lifter. It was two out of three. Um, and, uh, it went the distance. Mo, Mo Baker won two to one. Uh, and he said, you know, Jim, if I had your strength and my technique, I, you know, I, or if you had my technique and your strength, you would never be beaten. Basically like, Mo, Baker, yeah. Mo Baker had arm wrestling thousands of people in his life and he was legitimately the best arm wrestler. And for him, for Jim to give him up that type of battle, Oof. uh, was, was an impressive thing. So he only arm wrestled a few years here and there. Um, and I asked, uh, it was really not his focus. I mean, he was going to the, he was the world record bench presser. So sure. A, a little, a yeah. little bit after that comes in terms of powerlifting comes Ed Cohen and I had right. him on home gym history and I asked him because he notoriously has humongous hands. And so I was curious about grip strength and arm wrestling. Have you ever dabbled in any of these things? And he right away, he was like, no, I, I forget who he said. He said someone asked him to arm wrestle and that he felt like his arm was getting ripped off. And he was like, it's not worth it. Like my, his, his, it's so his vision was so streamlined in terms of like, I'm going to break these records. I'm going to do these things with powerlifting that it was just not worth his time. All of these strength sports or every sport is so specific. Yes. So no matter how strong, like you've probably seen the video, or I'm sure some of your viewers have seen the video of Devin Armour singing the mountain. Oh uh, yeah. Door. yeah. So, and people, a lot of people who don't know Armour singing, they're like, how is this possible? <laughs> you know, it's Devin has been arm wrestling every day for 35 years, basically. Yeah. And he, he became, he's become so strong in that one motion. Of course, Devin could not compete with Thor in a strongman contest, but you know, 
But no matter what you do, if you do enough, you're not going to beat somebody if you're not in the sport, right? You're not at the top level for sure. Um, so it's, uh, it, it, that's one of the things sure. that, that's fun about arm wrestling. John Brzezik is a great example. I do see a lot of crossover between grip and arm wrestling. I mean, grip and arm wrestling. Hand, so if you have a grip strength hand, and arm wrestling, it seems like a lot of, uh, grip strength athletes also arm wrestle and vice versa. Maybe that's just my purview, but it just seems like it. There's not actually that many who compete in both. There, there's me, there's Lucas Raymond. Uh, there are a few here and there, um, but there's no question that a strong hand will help in arm wrestling. That, that's for sure. <laughs> Am I cutting out again? That makes sense. I think we have a lag here because I can yeah. hear myself coming through like a minute later. So just uh, uh, pardon, pardon me if uh, my questions are coming uh, coming across a little broken. So. Yeah. What I was curious about though, and it's, it's no big deal, but what I was curious about was in terms of competing in arm wrestling, you know, what kind of training do you need to put in? Let's say someone's listening. That's, you know, working out for health and for wellness, but not really competitive in a strength sport. And they're thinking, Oh, maybe I'll try to compete in arm wrestling. Um, you know, how do you even start? Like you just look for local tournaments. What do you, you know, how do you go about it? The, the, the best thing to do is to find a local club. So arm wrestling okay. is to the point now where almost every city either has a club or within a short distance, but you, you definitely want to arm wrestle people who know what they're doing, because that's when you learn how to arm wrestle safely. Mm. Uh, it can be a dangerous sport if you don't know what you're doing. Um, so number one, before you enter a tournament, try to find a club and learn how to pull. Uh, you'll make you get a lot of strength gains just learning how to pull properly with a team. Uh, there are a lot of exercises you can do as well, uh, but the very best is to actually arm wrestle. And the first couple of um, it's a hard sport to break into because it is painful because you're using muscles and tendons in a way that is not sort of you use in day to day. Uh, day to day manner, so it is. Um, you have to be okay with pain, yeah. <laughs> because the first <laughs> few months, the first few months can be tough, uh, but eventually your body sort of gets used to it, and you know it gets better. But um, yeah, definitely um, try to find a club. Go into Google, go into Facebook, type your city, type arm wrestling, and you'll find you'll find. Nice, that's great advice. The, what about you though? How did you get into arm wrestling? So I got into arm wrestling when I was 19. Uh, so in high school, there was an annual tournament and I did well. I always won that tournament. And then I found out that there was actually a tournament in town. Uh, and I went and I spoke to the organizer and he, he, he invited me to weekly practices. So that's how I got into it. This is pre-internet. So you had to sort of luck into it back in those days. <laughs> uh, you know, get connected. Because once you're connected, then you, you, know, you get on the mailing list and get the flyers so you can hear about the tournaments now with the internet you just have to search and you'll find so it's uh, a lot easier now basically i got into it because i as a kid and as a teenager i was always good at it and i liked i liked it because i was good at it so then i decided to see you know how can i do against actual arm wrestlers so yeah and in terms of competitive arm wrestling, uh, what's your resume like? Like, what have you, what have you gone about? What kind of goals do you have for the future? Are you still competing now? Yeah, arm wrestling. So that's that was my only sport for from 
for, for 20 years from the mid nineties to, you know, maybe 2000, early 2010s. Uh, I became, I, what I consider, I considered, I got to sort of a good national level arm wrestler. I won a national title, got the podium multiple times. Uh, you know, I won some decent regional sized events. Um, never quite the world level, but, um, early 2010s, I discovered grip sport, grip contests. So for several years, I was doing both. Um, and eventually after 20 years of arm wrestling, I was starting to feel it in my elbow. So it was starting to be, uh, you know, pain that I didn't have when I was uh, in my teens and twenties and early thirties was sort of catching up to me. Uh, and I wouldn't get that pain from grip contests. Um, so I've sort of switched gears and I have an arm wrestle, you know, I would, I haven't officially retired. Um, but, uh, I last competed in 2022. I did a few tournaments, but I felt I lost a lot during the pandemic because I wasn't doing any arm wrestling. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to all of a sudden not be at the level that you used to be. <laughs> and it's not that I couldn't get back there, but it would take a lot mm -hmm. of effort and things are going so well in, in grip sport. Uh, and I'm traveling all around the world with that. So that's yeah. sort of become my focus more recently. And listeners, you probably know that I've the past year or two gotten into grip sport um, myself. But if you don't know, Eric organizes King Kong, which was so much fun. I hosted uh, here in Pittsburgh uh, for King Kong of Grip. And it just came out on the Grip Show. Great podcast. Uh, I want to say maybe a couple weeks ago, by the time this episode of Home Gym History drops, uh, next year's King Kong events. So, yeah, I, I'll put in a plug right now. It, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And if you don't know much about King Kong, you can go to The Grip Show and learn about it. You can go to Eric's website and learn about it. And you can go to The Grip Board and learn about it. Uh, just Google King Kong of Grip and it's bound to come up. Yeah, and that King Kong, I know it's, we're getting off arm wrestling history. Sure. One of the, the beautiful things, well, in arm wrestling, we can't... Arm wrestling, you have to be in the same room with your opponent. That's how arm wrestling works. But for a grip contest, uh, we're, all yeah. lifting, we're just lifting weights. So King Kong is a grip contest held in thirty, at least 30 locations around the world where we're all competing on the same events on the same day. And then we compare results. So then that's how you get to compete with people, you know, in Finland and in, uh, in Chile and all over the world. So it's a lot of fun. And anyone who wants more interest and more information, yeah, just yeah. connect with me. Uh, through the grip order or Facebook. Yeah. And listeners feel free to ask me as well. And if you're near Pittsburgh, I've already told Eric that I'm hosting again next year. It'll be in October. So October, 2024, if you want to check it out and you're near Pittsburgh, just hit me up and you can uh, visit my gym and uh, see how you do. And I had, let's see, I had two different uh, competitors at my gym for King Kong this year that had never, done grip before. And then I also had two competitors that were light years ahead of me in terms of experience. So it was a really fun time because I, you know, on one hand, I'm, I'm kind of gotten my feet wet so far competing, but it was cool to learn from those more experienced competitors, but also be able to help out and kind of enjoy seeing someone, you know, look at this stuff for the first time and try it for the first time it was just fun. So it, it was great. It was a good atmosphere, great competition. And then, like you said, seeing how you rack and stack against people all over the world was really yeah. fun. 
But yes. in terms of the local clubs, that's great advice for the arm wrestling. But then I do see some people training at home and I'm wearing a uh, arm assassin t-shirt right now. You mentioned Luke Raymond, world champion arm wrestler, and he has uh, produced various tools and implements and things uh, for arm wrestling as well as grip and other things through arm assassin listeners at the top of the show. You heard me, you know, put a plug out there for home gym con. I'm very excited. Luke's coming to home gym con arm assassin will be there in April. So if you're coming to home gym con and you're kind of curious, like, wait, what, what are these guys talking about? Like tools and stuff I can use, you know, to train for arm wrestling or train for grip at home, visit arm assassins booth in French lick at home gym con. And I'm sure they will set you straight. They'll have lots of cool stuff there to show you, but back on track with the history of things. I was curious uh, with your history. So you got into it and you're competing in arm wrestling, you know, you're starting to feel some pain. So you get away from it, but looking back on it, was there any, was it the national title? Was there anything that really stood out to you as like, you know, that was your goal and you, and you got it or something you thought, wow, like this is, this will go down in, uh, you know, kind of the stories I tell my grandkids. Yeah. Win, winning, winning your first open division national title. That's, that was big. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and actually one of the guys who was in my class had actually won the world championship a year and a half before. before. So <laughs> I beat a world championship at national. So that, that nice. was pretty cool. And then, uh, there was a big organization, um, professional organization in, in, in five, 10 years ago called the world arm wrestling league. Mm. And they held some a series of regional tournaments in 2017, and I and I I won one of those regional tournaments. That was also a big, a big accomplishment because those events, you know, attracted strong strong fields. So to win one of those, that was definitely one of my favorite uh, accomplishments in the sport. Yeah, that sounds very cool, and and yeah. I mean those. I'm not saying it lightly. I think those are kind of the stories you would tell your grandkids. That's you beat a yeah. world champion on the way to a national. Yeah title that's cool yeah. so yeah. as far as the history of arm wrestling when when i loosely just kind of yeah. looked into it so that i'd have a, a little bit of footing for this interview right away a lot of websites are we're talking about like ancient egypt middle ages uh have you ever dabbled in to you know taking a look at you know were ancient people actually arm wrestling or fast forward in time a little bit to medieval times where people in you know medieval europe actually arm wrestling so that is very hard to research um a because so little that is written about it and so little that is available in english however a few years ago uh, i collaborated with um someone who was into this stuff as well in, in russia and he had he had basically his mission was to determine what proof is there that there was arm wrestling something a, a rumor that was spread at some point was that there was a, on a Egypt in an Egyptian tomb there was hieroglyphics hieroglyphics showing two people arm wrestling well he looked into this and it doesn't depict that at all like it's it's it depicts maybe two people like touching hands in a dancing position so basically one person misinterprets it the rumor spreads so that's what you often hear <laughs> all days back to and it's not to say that it doesn't maybe there was arm wrestling but that's not proof like that is. Um, so as I said, the only ones where I've actually found proof for several hundred years in Japan, yeah. there's, I found sources and depictions and all that. 
several hundred years in Hawaii and several hundred years in, in Quebec. Mm. That's where I know for sure. Uh, there's okay. a lot of talk about how it came. It was introduced from the natives in North America to the English, uh, speak the settlers. Okay. I haven't found much. I, f- I found a lot of other types of combats or activities, but I have not found actual arm wrestling. So it's very murky. It's very hard to research. Um, so there's a lot of, as I said, I think sure. it probably has been practiced around the world as an activity for fun. Mm. Um, but it's not documented and it's very hard to prove. So I, most of my research is from the 20th century onwards because of that I have access to newspapers and newsletters and a lot more data and information. Yeah, sure. Have you found with the different areas that you just mentioned, Japan, Quebec, where you do have proof, you have newspaper articles of matches and things, although it would be quite a while until the world championships happened and people from those places were there, have you found proof of any contact between those people prior to the world championships? You know, like a a Japanese arm wrestler that was at a match in Quebec, you know, or some, a Canadian that was, you know, over here or writing a letter to so-and-so. Not, not before the 1960s. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. I'm not, not to say that it didn't happen. Yeah. But just, uh, and that's what my, my, my Russian uh, colleague, he was convinced that this is what must've happened is somebody saw it and brought it to another part, part of the world. And yeah, yeah. But I, I really think, I think it's a basic, test of strength that is i'm not surprised mm-hmm. i wouldn't i could easily believe that it evolved independently in different parts of the world so well off the top of my head i also see arm wrestling as always having kind of been in my life just a you're passing time you got nothing to do you're hanging out together you don't need a lot of room you don't need a lot of equipment you don't need a lot of anything you know a flat surface basically and you can you know, not by competition standards, but you can just in a, you know, friendly way with a pal, Hey, you want to arm wrestle? So I could see what you're saying to be true that maybe they did develop in separate areas up until the point of the world championships. You know, it's something people came, came along with. Yeah. But when it, when it comes to uh, the style, the, I, I can't, sorry, I Go can't ahead. add that. I do know that around the turn of the 20th century, uh, in my newspaper research, I can definitely see it spread from Quebec to the Northeastern states. That oh, I've seen, okay. that I've, like, I've seen articles where this has been, this sport was just introduced from this person from Quebec. Yeah. And so that spread, I have been able to determine. Um, but beyond that, it's hard to see how <laughs> the spread exactly. Yeah. Well, a, a, a kind of a classic old time strongman um, shtick, if you will, for lack of a better term, or like, you know, moneymaker would be kind of like Thomas Inch saying, hey, if anyone can lift this dumbbell, you get this money. Uh, or right. any other kind of strongman saying, if you can do this, you get this money. Is there any evidence or have you read of any arm wrestlers doing that saying, hey, if you can beat me in arm wrestling, you know? Pay ten bucks. So, if you can beat me, you win the money. Um, oh, I'm sure it's been done. I know that that was a popular gimmick uh, in professional wrestling in like the 50s and 60s. Some some of these wrestlers were legitimately strong, yeah. so they would open it up to the crowd, saying, uh, 
can have any of you beat me? I don't know how how many takers there are or how serious it was, but I have read of 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 some some wrestlers who are known for their strength who would actually do those types of challenges. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure it ha- I'm sure it happens all the time <laughs> that we just don't hear about yeah. it. But uh, I've I've heard Dave Patton, who was one of the best lightweight armistices of all time uh, in the 80s and 90s, he was most active. And he would, in New York City, he's known to set up a booth and just say, beat me, win 100 bucks, of course. (laughs) And he only weighed 150 pounds, but he beat everyone. He was was basically John Brzezink, just a smaller version. Um, So, yeah. Uh, But historically, beyond the wrestlers that I've heard about, I don't know, but I, I would not be surprised. Hmm. Now, I mean, you've piqued my curiosity here. I, I, I would, I've got enough pursuits. I'm, I'm really gotten very serious about my grip training. So I'm not saying I'm going headfirst in arm wrestling, but yeah, you know, I've gotten curious enough that I want to maybe try or go out to, you know, see, I, I guarantee you, like you said, there's probably a club in Pittsburgh. So injuries, what do I need to be scared of? What do I need to be I'm not scared, but cautious of? Well, the most common and the most dramatic is the arm break. And that's almost always, it's a spiral fracture of the humerus bone. So your arm's going this way, your body's sort of twisting, and it's a spiral fracture. It's not a nice break. Uh, and that's why it's important to learn how to arm wrestle, to stay in positions. It's a dangerous, the common dangerous position in arm wrestling is when you're look, twisting away from your, from your hand. So you're looking away and your hand becomes aligned with your shoulder blades. That's a very Uh, dangerous, takes a lot of pressure on the humerus bone. So you learn to stay away from that position. Um, So So you want to stay, stay in, (laughs) don't turn away. You always want to stay square. Yeah. Don't basically, if you're always thinking, look at your hand, that's what they tell beginners. Look at your hand. It'll reduce Mm -hmm. the chance of you getting too far crooked, but basically you want to stay square to the table as much as possible. So that is the sort of the, the, the scariest break. And, um, the people it happens to the most are beginners, um, a, because they might not know how to pull yet, but B oftentimes it's the bigger muscular guys because they're muscularly very strong, mm. but they're not used to that torque in that angle. So it's almost like their arms, mm. their strength, their muscles are too strong for their bones. Basically their bones haven't gotten yeah. conditioned to the movement. So that's why it's very, if I get a new bodybuilder to the club, uh, got to be very, very careful uh, to show them, you know, <laughs> the club, the practices in the club is there to learn. And it's hard for beginners, especially because if the first time you go to the club, you're going to want to see how good you are. You're yeah. going to want to have yeah. matches and you're going to want to test yourself. Well, like uh, the first time you picked up weights. Uh, I don't know about, I, I shouldn't speak for you, but for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people, you get in a weight room for the first time and you think, huh, I wonder how much I can lift, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that's and it is a, a macho type sport. You want to see what you can do, but, yeah. and that's what you have to, it takes some time to teach new people that arm wrestling training is just that it's training. Mm. It shouldn't be about ego. It shouldn't be about working yeah. positions, getting stronger in different angles. And, you know, but oftentimes it's hard to, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to stay in that frame of mind. The good thing about arm wrestling is you're not going to, you're not going to get knocked out. You're not going to get head injuries True. or like that. Now, of course, any number of things can happen, you know, you know, I'm talking about worst case scenario, but like, you know, uh, biceps, uh, torn biceps or 
tendons ripping, tendons ripping off, any type of ligament. There's all a lot of bad stuff that can happen, but um, you know, I've been doing this for since the mid-90s. I've had some minor things, but I've never had any major uh, injuries. So uh, yeah. I've been pretty lucky. So I think if you learn how to arm wrestle the right way, and, and you're just careful in your training, I, you, for the for the most part, it's a generally safe activity. I, I mean, just about everything you've said the past couple minutes answering my question, I'm pretty sure anyone in any strength pursuit could apply that to their strength pursuit whether it's powerlifting, right. strongman, wh whatever it might be, you know, you need to learn the proper technique to keep it safe. And if you don't have right. the proper technique, whether you are hoisting a log over your head or deadlifting or doing whatever it is you're doing, you're probably going to injure yourself or get injured. So yeah, right. it totally makes sense to me. Um, yeah. So then to, to kind of wrap up here, you know, it, it sounds like, there's a, a pretty clear path if listeners are interested to try to find a local club, you know, in person is best. If you're curious about, you know, some stuff for your home gym, Arm Assassin will be at Home Gym Con. You can check that out. You can go to their website. And then as far as King Kong, uh, you know, Grip Championship, uh, I messed up the title here. Technically, King Kong of Grip. Is that what the we are? The actual title is the International King Kong Grip Challenge. Thank you. But uh, not championship. If you, challenge. Win the, if you win the overall title, you are recognized as the King Kong of Rip. There you go. So that's <laughs> that's what you're shooting for. You just yeah. have the entire world to compete against. So, right. <laughs> so yes, listeners, if you're curious about that, you can contact Eric or myself. So Eric, you know, I've got to ask before we leave though, to to kind of end on a, a positive note since we were just talking about horrific injuries that may happen. <laughs> and I say may, like they probably won't happen as long as you're safe. On a more positive note, why should people try arm wrestling? It's, it's a lot of, you know, as opposed to weightlifting, which I love, uh, you're imposing your will on an opponent, right? So somebody's, it's a test of wills. It's a mini fight. You're not going to get knocked out. So it's not, you know, but it is, you get a, pretty big rush when you win an arm wrestling tournament or a match in a tournament, you know, it's, it's a very good feeling. And, um, and as you said, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. It is, it is, you basically learn as you get into arm wrestling, you learn where you're naturally strong, where you might be a little more relatively weak, and then you can sort of work on bringing up your weaknesses or focusing on your strengths and every arm wrestler, depending on their build and their, their genetic makeup will be stronger in certain positions than others. So it's really, if you like to, if you like to analyze your opponents, it, there's a lot of strategy involved. Um, but the feeling of winning an armistice match, you know, hopefully everyone has experienced at least once in their life, having winning a match, it's a good feeling. So yeah. uh, I like to taste that. And, and when you get into the competitive uh, arena, when you're actually, it's one thing to beat your friends who don't arm wrestle, but once you start beating arm wrestlers, that's, it's a pretty good feeling. It makes sense to me. I like that you call it the mini fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's very cool. Well, listeners, you can find more about King Kong. If you just search it, like we had said, you can also go to Facebook and the Facebook page, uh, the arm wrestling archives that Eric runs. If you want to dig more into the history of arm wrestling, of course, you can find me at Vintage Weights PGH on all the platforms that you might find people on. And Eric, 
thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Rob. It was, it was a lot of fun. All right. Take care.